welcome to Civil-ish, the show about respecting our differences. I'm so excited for you to be here today as we talk to Vivian Sayward. She's an entrepreneur and creative type, the founder of Vivacity Advantage, a business consulting firm, and Vivacity Sportswear, an athletic athleisure clothing firm. We're going to talk about what it means to be an entrepreneur, what it means to be a woman entrepreneur, and did her business opportunity arise because of a systemic bias in the retail golf clothing market? We're covering that and so much more. Stick around. Hi, and welcome to Civil-ish, the show about respecting the differences. Today, I'm very excited to have Vivian Sayward here. She's an entrepreneur, a creative type, the founder of Vivacity Advantage and Vivacity Sportswear. Now, what I really want to talk about, though, is the sportswear today. Thank you so much, Vivian, for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me, Johnny. I really appreciate it. Let's get started. My favorite first question to ask is, who are you and what makes you, you? Ah, interesting. Uh, Well, I always start off with I'm uh, a daughter of immigrants. (laughs) My family came from Colombia, South America, my parents did. And I think um, definitely from the beginning, I was inspired by them, not just for their um, bravery and and coming to a new country, a new language, new culture and everything else, but making it happen and always being fear, at least to me as a kid, it seemed that they were fearless. My dad's always been an entrepreneur, um, very driven, um, very supportive and loving at the same time, too. So that that was amazing from that standpoint. I An amazing childhood from that standpoint. But um, and I was always inspired by them both and the work they did um, always with a with a view to give back. Very generous in spirit and very very curious, always wanting to learn about other people and the cultures and other ways of doing things. So I think I was inspired by them to begin with. Um, I uh, went through school, you know, thanks to them. My dad was not, has always been an entrepreneur. He's, he's still, he's 80 years old and he still rides his bike a couple hundred miles a week. <laughs> it's pretty wow. crazy. And still is part of the business that he started about 40 years ago that my brother is now running. Um, but I, um, I, you know, kind of went the traditional route of I, lucky enough to be able to go to college, and then I got my graduate degree and worked in the corporate world for many years. I worked first in high tech and then in uh, biotech pharma in different roles in business development and marketing and finance. Um, but I knew deep down that I wanted to build something, but I wasn't exactly sure what. Um, so one day I started playing golf. And my husband's an avid golfer, and I just could not find anything to wear. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I must have been complaining about it enough. And I, <laughs> I just uh, real, you know, and truly, I, I was offended by the way it was being marketed and really not marketed to women. So my husband one day turned to me and said, well, then do something about it. So that's where Vivacity came in. And I just, you know, based on my experience, based on being inspired by my parents, and my background in the corporate side of things and, and the business aspects of things, I just kind of jumped in feet first and, and created this company. So that's, that's a, a bit more about me, I guess, from that standpoint. Oh, no, that's fantastic. A great background, business background, entrepreneur example in the family. That's awesome. Now, you were talking about the golf, golfing with your husband, and mm-hmm. you couldn't find 
make sure I got it right here. You couldn't find something that was flattering or it wasn't marketed well. What was that exactly? All of the above. Um, I found things that were designed that I felt like were no offense, but men's polos cut a little shorter and then called women's shirts. And we women are not built like boxes. <laughs> we are all different <laughs> shapes and sizes. So are men. So that's standpoint. So um, things like that, the fabrics themselves, the the lack of selection about even color, color schemes. I mean, not everyone wants to wear pink and purple all the time as far as women. Fits. Um, so that's what I sought out to create more flattering, uh, comfortable, long lasting, durable quality. I've I've been driven by quality. I'd rather pay a little more for something that's well-made and that you can wear, I can wear and use for a long time. And I think that aspect of sustainability from the beginning, from the beginning of creating my company has been there. So, um, that's, that's where it started, all started. Now. I'm I'm a little fascinated here because it's not like women are a minority. Right. Women make up 50 something percent of the entire population and right. yet it's still an underserved market in the golf industry. Yes. It is. You know, it, it really is um, in many industries. <laughs> right. Okay. In many different areas. How's that? <laughs> Yeah, and I don't, um, you know, and I think it, it's changing. Um, you know, we're, we're, we've talked about that. We've talked about diversity in general. Um, obviously, it's in the forefront of today's, of what we're going through today in so many instances, um, in so many different aspects. But yes, uh, even just a few years back when I started this company, the the conversations I would have with people. So I was learning about this industry. So I was talking to different people and talking and I ended up um, being connected to a couple of um, former executives at larger golf companies. And the things they were telling me and the way they kind of treated it at first, I had one gentleman tell me that, why am I even bothering with women? They don't buy much of anything in golf. It's just, they're always poor sellers as far as the women's golf lines. And I turned to him and I said, yes, they are, because you're not, you're not writing a good product for them. And it was just, <laughs> it was that kind of attitude that I really wanted to change. And I felt was unfair. Yes, that, that makes sense. It almost feels like a chicken and egg thing, which came first. Were they not buying because it was an it was lousy materials or there was lousy materials because they weren't buying? I think it was a combination of things. It was sort of, again, it was, um, you know, oh, shoot, you have to cater to women who are, you know, on the golf side. I'm, I'm just, you know, right now we're just talking golf because right. um, we've expanded from that standpoint. But, yeah, I think it was a combination of um, lack of training for the buyers that, you know, again, my first first area that I worked in was as far as selling the line was in the golf, the traditional country clubs, golf courses, that kind of thing. And a lot of the folks who were buying were truly a lot, not very well trained because there wasn't a focus on that. Um, There were a lot of times younger, younger men who had just left the golf academy. They wanted to be golf pros and they, their first jobs, you know, at a golf course or so forth beyond caddying or whatnot was, oh, you need to help out in the pro shop. 
and you need to buy stuff here for the men and for the women. So with no training, no wherewithal as far as what does the audience need, what does our customer need or anything like that. So, you know, there was a bit of that and people are more comfortable buying from, you know, the brands they do know. Someone coming from a Nike or an Indeed or, you know, whomever, a Callaway or whatever, they would buy from them because that's what they knew. And that doesn't necessarily mean that would always fit a woman or fit their customer base. So a lot of those items would end up on the sales rack. There was a lot of that to begin with. So a major part of your job is simply to educate, I'm guessing. I think that that works out in so many different ways, especially when you're trying to break new ground and you're trying to distinguish yourself. Um, you know, and that's what we were finding. One of the things that people were coming back to us about um, when we when I'd first when I was first coming in, of course, no one knew me from Adam, and I would go into talking to a buyer at a club, let's say, and I'd say, listen, let's let me show you what my line can do. And let me learn from your customer base too. So let's do a trunk show. And I can show, and we can talk, you know, we can, and you can see who's buying, who's not buying, and you're not carrying inventory. So of course this was, you know, uh, a lot of effort and expense on, on our part, but you know, this is what we did. And we learned from our customer base and we were showing, we, it turned out we were, which I didn't think was very, out of the ordinary, but we were using really comfortable fabrics, using really nice cuts, and the women really enjoyed them. And women were not just buying these items for golf, but they were buying them for other phases of their life. And that's how our line expanded from there. Well, that's great. Now, what have you got? You said the line has expanded. You've continued into the, dare I call it, the athleisure field that I hear about, or is that wrong? (laughs) Um, you know, it is part of it. It's, it, you know, for lack of a better word, I mean, our pieces, I mean, I've had women buy our pants, for example, real estate agents who are always traveling, you know, are, are bending and moving and, and shifting things when they're showing a home or whatnot. I've had a lot of professional women wear our pants because they're very comfortable. They look tailored. They look nice. Um, great fabrics, but they can move in them. And they don't, they're without any fear of showing something or not stretching or whatever it may be. Um, so those kinds of things that we've, we've, you know, worked into. The other thing we worked into was um, offering more extended sizing, more inclusive sizing. So we go up, right now we go up to a size about a um, women's um, size 28. And that's not very usual. And that, that came to me because of a photo shoot we did one day at a golf course and a woman was there um, there was a separate event going on and she worked for the one of the local golf associations and she turned to me and said oh I love your your pieces it's so nice but I wish you would make something for me I'm a larger woman and look what I'm in and I work in the industry and here I am the only thing that they can give me that will fit me is a man's shirt and it was a boxy polo shirt but (laughs) and she was like could you please make something for me um, I really want to look cute. I don't want, you know, I, you know, and I just can't find anything. So that, that really stuck to me. And I kept on hearing that, getting that from other people. So that's why we made it a concerted effort to have, offer these types of pieces in, in, the, in uh, a more broader scale of sizing. Because I think it's important. Everyone wants to look good and everyone wants to feel good and everyone wants to, wants to perform well. So um, why, why be exclusively looking at just women of a certain size? That makes no sense. 
I do appreciate you saying that because you're making something for the average person. Not yeah. average is not a great word. I don't really like that word. I know. But for, I know. But for most of us. Right. And we all and we all go through different phases and in, in our body types. I mean, women have children for goodness sake. Women have <laughs> you know, there's different points, you know, our bodies are always changing and um, as we age we change, you know. And that's fine. That's why should we be trying to fit into a certain mold? That's not how we're all we're all different and we need to to me personally, we need to celebrate those differences and celebrate um, the beauty in all of us. Um, it may sound a little wooey, but it's, I, I truly believe that. Wooey is okay sometimes. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> now you're in the women's market yeah. and that's fantastic. Could I as a male actually enter that same market and do the same thing? Or is that just really impossible for, impossible for me to even understand enough to try? I think if you're, you know, number one thing is listening to your customer base. There's some amazing male, it depends. Um, You have to, again, it's listening to your customer. And that can be a man, that can be a woman, that can be, I've, I've had, I've had some males come to me, you know, seeing my line and saying, oh my gosh, my wife would love that. And this is why let me introduce you to my wife or let me pull that, you know, and, and I've had, I've had some of my great customers have been men who have listened to their wives, girlfriends, sisters complain or, you know, wanting to find something different. And they're the ones who've been attracted, who've who've, um, helped spread the word too. So I think it's having that sensitivity and understanding your customer base and, and, um, and being open to that feedback. I think that's important. It sounds like you're saying it's really not that hard. Just listen. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I make it sound, it's, it's not, it's, it's hard. It's a lot well, of I work. Mean, it is. No, but, it's a lot of work. I, I know you put a lot of work into it. Uh, yeah. The idea that serving everybody really just takes, just takes listening and including. Right. Exactly. 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 Absolutely. No, oh, that's an interesting question, Johnny. Really interesting question. Well, thank you. Yeah. I would like, because we're at an interesting time as we record this, it's during the pandemic. It's also during the, there's a lot of going on, unrest in society. Yes. Could you speak to me for a bit as to being a woman entrepreneur Mm -hmm. and how difficult that is, or is it difficult? Are there systemic biases that work against you? As an entrepreneur, uh, getting into the field, you might have touched that just a little, and overall. Well, um, being a woman, being a minority, Hispanic, you know, I've never, even in my corporate career, I, I, you know, I look back and say, oh, yeah, a lot of times I was the only female in that room, or I was the only minority in that room, but it never struck me. I, I, you know, I didn't think about that. At least that was me. Not that I was, you know, being colorblind or anything like that, but it, you know, that early on in my career, I'm a little older. So, you know, there was a lot more, (laughs) um, definitely there's been a more women who have, who've achieved amazing things, but nevertheless, yeah, I've seen even, even in, in this latest, my latest entrepreneurial journey, I was just uh, mentioning this to someone. Um, one of the things I've been really cognizant about is because I feel that we, 
I want to celebrate diversity. I want to celebrate this amazing community, this country that we have that is made of immigrants that I think is so amazing and makes it so powerful. And we need to, and we need to sell it, to appreciate that. Farmland has come new ideas culturally and so many and, and innovations and so forth, which is amazing. So my business, my company from the beginning has been, I've, I've tried to even down to, you know, the people who I work with are people from all over the world, really. The models I've used to help represent my product, they're, they're women of, of all, of all um, different curvy, from curvy to thinner and taller, from diverse backgrounds, from, you know, from Nigeria, from <laughs> locally, um, you know, women of color, women of, you know, of all different types. And I've, and I've gotten a lot of compliments for that. But at the same time, or especially early on, I've gotten this from other retail, certain retailers that I started working with, um, who told me, you should be careful and maybe you should be looking at more of the skinny, I, true story, skinny white girl, that, um, <laughs> which is more aspirational uh, for, for this clientele that I work with. And I, to me, that was such a shock you know, for so many years and to hear this and I, and this was something that I just didn't agree with. And I, you know, kind of listened to it, but I ignored it (laughs) and just proceeded with what I was doing. Um, because this is not me, this is not my business and this is not, I think the clientele that I'm servicing. So, um, just continuing along that and, and feeling true and feeling authentic and true to myself. I mean, if had I listened to that person's comment, that w- that wasn't authentic to me, and I don't think I would have been able to proceed in my business, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily paying paying attention to the quote unquote experts, but following your gut sometimes. You have to, and I've learned that the hard way. You have to listen to your gut. <laughs> <laughs> you know a lot more than you think. <laughs> Absolutely. That's fantastic. I'm really appreciating your stories here and your sharing. Now, I also know that you try very hard to manufacture in the United States. That's correct? Yes. That can't be easy anymore. It's not. Since I've started, so I started here in, in San Diego and I still continue to manufacture here in San Diego. But the, from the from the time that I started to now, which has been the past seven, eight years, I have I've probably the con- from the contractors, I work with the ecosystem of small family businesses, of fabric cutters and, sew- and sewing contractors. From whence I started seven or eight years ago, I would say easily 60 to 70% of them are not, no longer in business mm. for a whole bunch of re- many reasons, including that it's very expensive to do, you know, to have a labor force, to have a business here. Two, a lot of people have retired and their kids, next generation kids, didn't want to take over the family business. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, trying to maintain the folks that are still here, that are still doing amazing work and, so, and looking at other places to source. And, I've, and that's where I continue to kind of spread out my net, uh, my net, shall we say, of building this, this ecosystem. And I've been, you know, qualifying more people uh, up in L.A., qualifying more people in Mexico, for example, because I do speak Spanish and I have some good relationships there in Mexicali and other places of Mexico that do quality, they do quality work. 
But, you know, nevertheless, any of our partners from the beginning, I've just made sure that that people are, the contractors I work with, that they're treating their employees well, that there's paid, they're being paid well. And, and you know, when you have well taken care of employees and that you're providing and being supportive to them, they're going to they're going to create quality work, too. So that all of that is very important to me. But to your point, yeah, trying to keep it more locally. I've never gone outside of other than sourcing, you know, it, it just depends on some of the fabrics and so forth. I source for the most part fabrics and things like that from from Asia but I've done no manufacturing there, no manufacturing in China. I've tried to keep it um, as local as possible for many reasons. Right. I can imagine that would be difficult to do as well. It is. It, it's difficult and in a, in a way a little easier. <laughs> I, oh, okay. Di- yeah, difficult in the sense for me because I know that at least in the garment industry and a few other places, people who have manufactured overseas, especially in China, I mean, they've created an amazing system, truly, of for you to create, you know, create a design or something like that, send it to them, they're able to duplicate it theoretically and send you a product. So you're not dealing with sourcing fabric, creating patterns, doing any of that. That's easy, uh, easier for somebody. But at the same time, should something happen to that facility or tariffs, what we're dealing with right now, which mm. is, uh, you know, the back and forth of the tariff battles, you know, and you're looking for other sources, a lot of times those folks, and that's what's been coming to us. That's why we've partly, we started this consulting side of the Vasti Advantage. People have been coming back and saying, uh, we're trying to, we, we're trying to find a new, so- new sources in manufacturing, but they don't have any of the technology or the, any of the I, I call it intellectual property. None of the patterns, none of the samples, any of that. They have to start from scratch and recreate everything um, because these companies have have held them hostage. Mm, okay. Yeah. So that's been kind of interesting. So from that aspect, sorry, long-winded story, uh, long-winded answer there, but it's been, for me, I've had better control of that, better control of the whole process. And if there's an issue, I get a call and I'm able to, you know, I or my team are able to get down to any of the contractors or deal with it at a, in a timely fashion as opposed to going by email and waiting a day or, you know, whatever it may be. So from that standpoint, that's why I say it's, I, I've always looked for that, to have that aspect of having a bit of that control um, over the whole process. Mm-hmm. And as other people are looking for control over the process with tariffs and whatnot, whatever happens right. in international relations at any given time, right. now they're coming to you. That's fantastic. Yeah, they're, they're, they're coming to me, but they're coming to us in, in, in exploring ways. So, so we'll see. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a different ballgame. And, it, it, it's, and it's, it's almost like starting all over again. So we can help them avoid some pitfalls. That's when we're, we're doing our job. Uh, that was fantastic. Now, I have another thing that I wanted to ask you about. We just mentioned it a second ago. This is crisis mode in so many ways right. with everything that's going on in the country. How is this working, not working? How is this working or not working for your business right now? Is it making a difference? Are you having to make changes? And what do you foresee going forward? Um, well, I can talk to the apparel, the garment industry. Um, 
and and my business in general. So we had, as we may have mentioned, you know, we went, we started in golf, we shifted into this other resort area, resorts and cruise ships. So our number one customer base were the buying groups for cruise ships. And we were definitely building up there and getting ready to ship more product. Uh, we had, you know, manufactured and so forth and boom, COVID-19 hit and everything stopped. So, you know, after a day of panic, <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> it kind of gave us a time to kind of step back, see what's happening, see what's going on. What can we do differently? Are there other opportunities? And I think because we were open to it and we were, and I was, we were touching base with different folks, definitely with our suppliers, our contractors, as well as other fellow businesses in the same space other i i'm i'm in touch with a few other um apparel company leaders and seeing what we can work on together we were kind of helping each other out um and and finding new avenues in our case we've um we do i've, I've done a lot of work with national retail federation and um, i've done advocacy work for them and they invited me to apply for a special program so we were actually accepted in this program and it was tied in with the National Retail Federation and the Curate Retail Group. And the Curate Retail Group are the holding company of QVC and HSN and a few others of those companies. Oh. Um, and we were spotlighted on, on both QVC and HSN um, back on, on May 26th. Um, and that just brought a lot of attention to our website and has driven uh, more sales on our website. And as we're doing that, we're also looking at other new um, export opportunities. So exporting to Latin America, um, which has been interesting, and, and we're exploring that. And that's there seems to be some really interesting opportunities there. And also, again, with the, the Vivasque Advantage side, we have this in-house expertise of developing good product, getting it quickly from design phase to sample to um, to whatnot. So we're talking to a few uh, potential opportunities there with these fellow um, apparel businesses that are doing it fine, that are transitioning more to digital economy, uh, digital space, as opposed to wholesale. So all these things are shifting. And I feel that this is the moment now to be really creative and to work collectively and, and, and continue on this path of changing the paradigm and changing the way we're doing things. A lot of the companies right now that I'm seeing are in this, and I'm talking specifically in the spaces, apparel companies, you're hearing a lot of retailers go um, closing stores, a lot of them filing bankruptcy right now because of a, a business model that just doesn't work anymore, that can't be sustainable. So what is going to be sustainable? What um, are we going to be needing these companies like uh, or the way of businesses like H&M's and, and whatnot that we're making a lot of quote unquote fast fashion, a lot of lot of different shirts that would fall apart, for example, after a few washes and just mm -hmm. get dumped in the landfill. Is that is that sustainable from not just a business standpoint, but from an ecological standpoint and an environmental standpoint? We need to think about all that and the changing on that. And I think this is this is what's causing us to do this right now and pivot and really think hard and, and well about all this. I feel this is an opportunity and I feel that this is something that we can all be hopefully uh, striving to get to the next level of a better sustainable economic model for everybody. Well, I'm excited for what you had to say and for you sharing all of this with me today or with the listeners. 
I'm really, I can't wait to see what Vivacity does next and how you take advantage of the market opportunities because yeah, yours are the type of companies that pivot and the ones that don't pivot go away. Right, right. And it's sad to see, but, I, you know, there, there has to be a change. And I think this is what all of this is coming to ahead, all of it. Mm. So, um, yeah, yeah. I think there's a stay tuned. There's stay a lot tuned. Happen- yeah, yes. lot, lots going to be happening. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Thank you for that. One last thing before we go, where can people find you at online? And if they want to interact with your material, how can they do that? Sounds great. Well, yeah, they can find us online, both on Facebook, Instagram, on um, at Vivacity Sportswear. Uh, definitely our website, VivacitySportswear.com, where you can see the latest in our fashion. Uh, we're definitely, we, we are, we're not seasonal. We, we're, it's pieces that um, work throughout the year and through different seasons and climates and whatnot. Also, we're doing a lot more now, obviously, um, both helping companies, um, you know, small to mid-sized brands, especially on um, making more sustainable, eco-friendly um, design and fashion. Um, so we can check out if anyone needs any help there or maybe more resources there at VivacityAdvantage.com as well. Well, you've heard it all here from Vivian Sayward. Thank you so much for being here today and letting us know about what's changing in the retail world right now and how you're serving everyone, uh, not just people that fit a certain mold, but all of us in so many ways. Hopefully one way or the other. Thank you so much, Johnny. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate it. What a conversation we had with Vivian today. Thank you for being here. And don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends so that you don't miss any of these great conversations. We'll see you next time here on Civilish. Mm-hmm.